Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, welcome to Exchange Church. So glad that you could come out on this very warm, balmy, hot Sunday afternoon. My name is Todd Hall. I am the lead pastor here at Exchange, which is a great privilege and a great joy uh, to serve alongside many other people to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the eternal word that uh, never fades in power, always provides hope, and not only for a day or a week or a month or a year, but for eternity. That is the glorious gospel that we have. And it's our joy and privilege here as a church to connect people to Jesus and to grow people in Jesus through that glorious message of the gospel. I hope you've all recovered from uh, sort of Christmas, New Year's, and some people have got away and some people haven't, and some have come home and some have gone away this weekend. That's what happens this time of the year. Uh, But that's uh, all good to see you guys come out today as we come and uh, fellowship together. If you are here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you've come along to uh, join with us. We're a church with our doors always open, always open. We'd love to see people come along and uh, we would love to introduce them to Jesus and the community that he's called us together to be here. Okay, so for the month of January, we are doing a uh, short sermon series for the next four weeks. And uh, it's talking about um, moving forwards in a culture that's going backwards. Moving forwards in a culture that's going backwards. Uh, To set the scene for today, just think about this. Uh, When we go to a wedding, what do we generally see the bride wearing? It's a wedding dress, isn't it? I mean, that's a a bit of a no-brainer, of course. Uh, She's beautifully presented in a white wedding dress, generally. What does the colour, or what does the white colour of the dress symbolise in that sense there of that wedding day? The white colour symbolises purity, doesn't it? Purity uh, or chastity, purity of this beautiful bride. Uh, And purity is a beautiful thing. It's something that we are drawn to. It's something that we admire and it's something that we think is right when we think about purity. Uh, Today, as we open up God's world, we're going to see Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the blessing of purity, pure of heart, uh, before God. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with us to Matthew chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon and the longest uh, discourse or the longest discussion or the longest passage of uh, discussion we get from Jesus in all of the Gospels there. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 12. But seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now that we can gather together this afternoon. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, that you would bring this living, eternal word alive in our hearts. We pray now that you would supernaturally open up our eyes and our ears to see the glory of Christ, to see the glory of the gospel shining out through this short passage here, and particularly as we look at verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Please help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, and we know that you will. And we do ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this sermon series we're going to do over the next four weeks is to really show how glorious Jesus is and how powerfully transforming the gospel is at the very same time. Uh, The gospel is all about glorifying Jesus Christ and who he is. It's all about moving forward as a culture of believers and community and to reflect Christ to all those around about us. This is what the gospel for it. The gospel is to change us, to transform us, to bring us into the likeness of Christ and to reflect that into the community around about us. Now, when I say the culture is moving backwards here, I'm not here to sort sort of slap the culture around the ears and sort of bash it all up and things like that. In one sense, in one sense, we're all aspiring towards the same thing in life uh, when we say believers and the culture we live in, but we're moving at it in two different directions. We're trying to achieve the same thing, but we're actually trying to approach it and move at it in two different directions. We'll unpack this a bit more as we go along today. Uh, This sermon here, though, that Jesus uh, speaks in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is a captivating sermon uh, that Jesus gives here to his disciples. As we see there right at the start, seeing the crowds, he went up at the mountains and he spoke to his disciples there. Jesus, the Son of God, uh, is in his early days of this ministry that he had on earth. And here he explains in this sermon what it is to live in his kingdom, how that looks. Jesus sort of paints this picture here over about three chapters of how life looks living here in his kingdom in this broken and fallen world. Uh, And if anybody would would care to go through this sermon carefully, you'd have to say if you come out the other side of it after studying it really well, I want to live in a world like that. If you study through what Jesus is talking about here, you'd say, that's the sort of community I want to be a part of. A community here of peace, a community here of harmony. If you study the Kevin, you say, that's where actually I want to be, exactly the way Jesus is describing it here. In this early part of his sermon, Jesus lays out the pathway, as it were, to know joy in living for him. And you might see there, if you've got a Bible, it says the Beatitudes on the top of that, uh, top of verse 2 there, is a bit of a marker. The word beatitude there is the Latin word for blessing, and hence you see that repeated word there, blessed, blessed, blessed a number of times. Uh, To know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and to obey his teachings is to truly experience and know his blessing, joy and fulfilment in your life. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know his joy and fulfilment in following him. And here it is that Jesus lays out these attitudes or these beatitudes or these attitudes we should take to life uh, that experience this joy. And the one we're going to focus on particularly today is going to be verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here's a big idea for today as we think about that. 
living a life of purity before God will know and experience, very important word there, experience his peace and joy. Uh, The word pure there that Jesus is talking about when he says pure of heart, he's saying that to be morally pure, morally pure. That is to be innocent, to be without guilt, to have a clear conscience, to go through life without a sense of condemnation. To have a pure heart is to be that. Morally pure is what Jesus is talking about here uh, when he says that. To conduct our relationships with God and with each other in an upright and clean way with no sense of impurity about us. That's what he says, that to be pure in heart as we uh, fellowship with him and fellowship with each other. Okay, let's jump into it. Do you want to know something? We all deep down love and appreciate purity. We do. We honestly do. Uh, We love and we are attracted to those whose motives are pure. There's something that draws us to people like that. Let me introduce you to this man called Salati. Uh, Let me tell you his story now. Many nations around the world offer awards for police bravery. In Indonesia, it is police honesty that is gaining prestigious praise. Meet Salati. 58. Joined the Indonesian police force in Malang in East Java in 1977. Next month, he'll be honoured by the national police chief, not for bravery, but for refusing to accept bribes. During his almost 40 years of service, Salati has struggled to make ends meet and feed and educate his three children. But he refuses to boost his $550 a month salary by accepting bribes in a nation where corruption is undeniably embedded within his profession. Instead, Salati has shot to fame for moonlighting as a garbage dump scavenger to gain an honest, although rather filthy, second income. He says, I could use my uniform to get money illegally if I wanted to, but I prefer to be a trash picker rather than being corrupt, using extortion or cheating people for money. Salati has been a part-time rubbish rubbish scavenger since 2004. On average, he earns the equivalent of $5 a day for that rubbish scavenging work. As for his police job, his time is largely spent in the driving licence department, which to locals is known as the so-called wet department, where bribery is rife and the cash flows. Rather than doing that, I earn the extra income collecting recyclable garbage so I don't make any harm or create any trouble for other people, Salati says. On July 1st, Salati will receive an award for his honesty, a gesture which he says makes him happy. He would be happy too because a member of Indonesia's parliament, Bambang Susato, on hearing Salati's story, agreed to give him his base monthly salary for the remainder of the year. Salati says, I did not actually expect to get that, but if that promise turns real, I will use that money for my family and to pay my debts. It is the real deal. Salati's receiving an extra $420 a month direct to a newly opened bank account. But he says he will still not give up either of his day jobs. It's a great story, isn't it? Here's a guy who's working in a bribery-embedded, corrupted land and he refuses to live that way. He wants to live in a pure way. 
there's something that attracts you to this person and there's something you're really drawn to about this person. He actually refuses to go that way. His motives are pure. It sort of resonates within us, a feeling of, that's right, I like that. That's what I want to be like, pure in those motives. We also read the memoirs of sporting greats who were tempted to cheat and receive huge payoffs, but they refused to be bribed and they stayed true to the game. And we love that too. We actually love this purity that we see in people. Now, we do have these experiences in the world around about us, but unfortunately, all too often, they're just very rare little glimpses we see of this purity take place in the world around about us. More often than not, we see a world that's struggling with purity, struggling with pure motives, struggling to be innocent in that sense. Only just a few years ago, uh, we saw a bunch of Australian cricketers who were impure with their motives and they cheated in a test match in South Africa. And we all saw those press conferences when they actually come clean later on. Highly emotional, guilt-ridden, shameful. Mate, tremendous pressure on these guys to, to succeed at all costs, but doing it in an impure way. Now, the federal government that we have has set up an Australian classification board for films and for media. And this role within this Australian classification board is to view films or vet films for their purity, to make sure they match up to the code of practice. They've set there to have some level of purity within films. But they constantly have pressure put on them for morally impure films to be passed for viewing in Australia. It's like the culture we're living in is continually pushing against the boundaries of moral bounds here in purity in the name of freedom. We want to be able to view whatever we want to view. So they're constantly pushing against these boundaries here of purity in the film industry. So what do we find ourselves in when we think about that? We think about Salati, we think about these other things. We find ourselves in a bind. We find ourselves in a way trapped. In, in one sense, we love and we are drawn to purity. We're drawn to someone like Salati. We, we want that to be part of our life as well. We want to be, because it's so right, it, it's so appealing to us. And this is how God has made us as his creations, to be pure and holy in his sight and to delight in purity. So it's natural that we want to be drawn to it. But on the other hand, we find ourselves allowing impurity to creep further and further into our lives. We really don't have to look too far within ourselves and we can see that not everything is pure with us. And at the same time, we're incredibly good at trying to justify our impure motives as well. Jesus met these sorts of people of his day, and they were the Pharisees. Very, very religious people who tried to justify all of their impure motives by making a big show or spectacle of what they were doing. Trying to big note themselves as great people, but all the time in the back of their minds was an impure motive of what they could gain out of a situation. We're good at doing that too ourselves. We're good at justifying our actions, our, our deeds, trying to cover up over our impure motives. You see, the culture we live in, although it may have glimmers of purity, we actually find it's truly slipping away further and further 
from the purity that we all know is right. You see, the culture that we live in isn't able to give us the ability to live this pure life. Those three Australian cricketers couldn't do it. And we can't find that strength within ourselves either. There's something that wants to go the other direction and not choose purity. What we find is these impure desires overwhelm us and we just fall in that direction. You see, the culture we live in, in many respects, impurity, is going backwards. It's not becoming more and more pure, less and less pure. It's a culture that's going backwards. But Jesus says here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus is asking here for purity right in our inward being, in our hearts, in the very core of who we are, the very sort of central driving system of who we are. But we've just seen here that we aren't pure in the very core of our being. There's something corrupted within us. There's something that's impure. So how can we ever hope to see God if Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In some respects you might say, is Jesus asking the impossible here? I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? How can you be pure in heart when we all know that actually we're impure? Who can really be pure? Can anybody meet that standard? Who can really say that everything they've done in their life has come from a pure motivation or a pure incentive? Can Jesus be really this demanding about purity? Can he actually put the bar this high? Can he really ask us to jump to that level? Well, yes, he can. He can be that demanding. Why? Because Jesus wants us to have that purity. Jesus wants us to have that purity. Jesus wants us to see God and experience this blessedness or experience this joy that he says for those who have a pure heart, they shall see God. Jesus came to do what we could never do to help us achieve this purity. Have a look here in Hebrews chapter 9. We see what Jesus has done for us. He says here, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, defiled person would be probably an impure person, wouldn't it? For the sprinkling of defiled persons, impure persons, with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Now we're thinking here, this is Old Testament stuff, which is talking about the cleansing of the sins or the getting the, um, the forgiveness of sins here through the Old Testament rituals. But now we go to verse 14. How much more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, if something that doesn't have a blemish, you would say is pure, wouldn't you? So here's the pure one. Purify, what's he doing? He's purifying our conscience. He's purifying us from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus offers himself. Without blemish. In other words, a person of absolute purity, undefiled, without blemish. Jesus, who never had a, an impure motive whatsoever, whose every action was with a clear conscience, whose every word from Jesus' mouth came from a heart of pure intention. He says there, without blemish. Jesus lived the life of purity that we could never live. He is the pure one. And this pure one in Jesus Christ takes all of our impurities onto himself 
impurities in thought, impurities in word or speech, and impurities in action. He takes all them upon himself and offers himself up freely on a Roman cross to pay the price of all of our sinful impurity. This is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He, the pure one, becomes impure for us so that we can become pure in him. And that's exactly what that does for us. This puts us now in a position when we accept what Jesus has done by faith in his death and his resurrection. This now puts us in a position of purity, pure in heart. God sees us now through the purity of Jesus Christ, the one who was offered up without blemish, the the perfected son, Jesus himself. God sees us, each one of us, individually as pure in thought, pure in word and pure in action. So we now can take this promise that Jesus says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here's how the prophet Isaiah saw it for us in Isaiah chapter 1. He says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, so that impure, they shall become as white as snow, pure. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He's picking up here the action of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He makes us pure through his death on the cross, shedding his blood because of our impurity. And this is not something that we're striving for or straining for to somehow achieve this acceptance with God to gain this purity. It's not like I'm trying to climb myself up the ladder of purity and goodness to somehow reach the top and God will now give it to me. No. God gladly accepts us through what Jesus has done and declares us clean and pure as we put our trust and faith in what Jesus has done for us in the finished work of the cross. It's a free gift. It's the gift of salvation. So God now sees us as pure in heart because of Jesus before him. It's a position It's not something we're trying to gain or something we're trying to achieve. It's a position that we have gained through Christ himself. So what does Jesus say here of purity in verse 8? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's the joy, here's the blessing of the position of purity that Jesus now gives us. We are now given this new power to live pure lives from what Jesus has done for us and to experience his joy in doing so as we live these lives. Jesus releases us from impurity and now sets us free to live in purity for him. And in that purity of living, striving and straining not to gain acceptance but striving and straining now to live in a pure life, as we do that, we experience his joy and blessing here and now. Here and now. We experience this blessing of knowing God's spirit in our heart and in our lives, giving us the ability to live this life of purity before him. Um, Another thought here on this purity, it's not just a purity for the here and now, it's also a purity for eternity as well. Because it says there that we shall see God. In this period of living, experiencing joy and blessing, we also look forward to the eternal perspective of seeing God face to face. Seeing God personally experiencing his blessing 
forever. No one can really describe what that'll be like. Paul had visions somewhat of uh, heaven in, in 2 Corinthians, but we can't really give it the words that'll describe what it'll be to see God in person, face to face. But here's a word of reality, though, about living this life of purity. Don't expect this to be easy to live a pure life in a world that's going towards impurity. Don't expect that to be easy. It's costly to live pure lives. You see, to cheat in your finances is a way you can gain more money. You can. You can cheat in your finances, you can gain more money. You or I can do the impure thing and not declare our income and the tax office won't know anything about it and we can keep it and spend it on ourselves. We can actually gain some money. We may receive an amount of cash somewhere along the line as payment for something and we're faced with a choice in this purity. Will I declare this money that I've received as income or will I do uh, the impure thing and I'll just sort of tuck it away and I won't declare it in my income assessment? It's a very tempting thing to do that. Tax office won't know anything about it. It's come in a cash lump sum. The bank doesn't know anything about it. I can just actually use it for cash. It's really, really tempting to not declare it. It's a really difficult thing when you come to fill out your income form on the tax and actually write there, I've got some extra income. You don't want to do that. There's something that says, no, no, I've got a bit of a gift. I don't want to do that. It's very costly to live uh, in purity. But you might just, but, but I'll give that as part of my offerings to the church. Can I just say something here? We don't want your offerings from impure cash. We'd rather you do the right thing and then you can give us offerings after that. So don't try and justify it by saying, oh, well, I'll give it. No. Very tempting here to live impurely. Or it could be this. I've made a big mistake at work. A big mistake that will cost the company lots of time and lots of money. And nobody knows that it's me that's responsible for it. The manager comes and asks me, do I know anything about what's happened lately in this big mistake? I've got a choice. Right at that moment, do I do the pure thing and actually own up to me being responsible for that bad decision? Or do I do the impure thing and it wasn't me? It's a costly thing to live in purity. It's a really costly thing. But here's the glorious aspect about the gospel. The gospel gives us freedom and power to live in purity no matter what the cost may be. It gives us what this world can't give us to live in purity. I'm not trying to prove myself to God as a word to earn his approval. I've already got that in Christ and what Jesus has done for me. So when I'm faced with this costly decision to live in purity and to make these right decisions, I can choose purity, no matter what the cost may be, trusting confidently that God is in control of my life and he will direct my path and provide all I can, no matter what consequences I may face, if I'm in that business, I make that huge mistake and it costs them a lot of time and money. Jesus promises us that as we pursue a life of purity, that we will be blessed and fulfilled as we make that choice, as we commit ourselves to that. And part of that blessing is knowing God's Spirit's presence enabling us now to experience that joy and that oneness, as it were, with Christ as we live this life of purity. 
This life of seeking purity draws us closer to Jesus as we actually make those conscious decisions with the power that he gives. It draws us closer to Christ. And what we then experience is a deepening of his joy and peace as we walk with him in purity. It's the real awareness that God uh, does within our hearts through his spirit. And as we fight off these impure choices, because there will be a fight, make no mistake about it, it will be a fight to fight off these impure choices. As we fight off these impure choices and obey Jesus, there's a deeper awareness of God's love, as it were, and presence flowing into our heart. That's a tremendous blessing that God gives us. And like I said before, it does go further. We will know this joy in a whole other dimension in eternity. In eternity. You see, this is moving forward in a culture that's moving backwards when it comes to purity. It's committing ourselves to living this life of purity and moving forwards and not succumbing to the culture around about us, moving backwards. How do we live this life of purity now? What are some things that will help us to live pure, as Jesus has called us to here in Matthew chapter 5. Here's two things. Two things that will help you immensely in living in purity. First one is prayer. Nothing new, not rocket science, but tried, tested, proven works. To live a life of purity, we need to make use of God's grace through prayer. Pray. Pray that God will give us the wisdom to make those right choices and choose purity when we are faced with those difficult decisions. We live in a really complex and challenging world that comes at us from many different angles and challenges us about which way we're going to live. Will we live impure or will we live in purity? So we want to pray that God will give us wisdom, wisdom to make wise decisions to honour God in this purity. We also need to pray that God will give us the strength to choose purity as well. Not an easy choice to make. We need strength for that. We need God's grace to empower us to make the right choice to choose pure things. What will I wear? The clothes I wear, will they be pure clothes? Will they be clothes that honour Christ? Will it be something that people will look at and they see something there that reflects the, um, the person of Jesus Christ in what I wear? I need strength to make those choices in a culture that's moving backwards. How I speak. The speech I use. I need to pray for strength to choose the right words to say because in a culture we live in, it's really easy to just use foul mouth language. It just comes out sometimes. Speech really is a challenge. We need to pray that God will give us the strength to use that speech that will be pure and honour Jesus. You see, when we're faced with immoral choices in life that are so, so tempting, we need God's strength to say no to those choices. Prayer is what gives us that strength. And I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, if you commit yourself to praying each day, maybe numbers of the times for the day, maybe each time you come into a difficult situation or circumstance and pray, Lord, please help me to be pure in my thoughts. Please help me to be pure in my speech. Please help me to be pure in my actions. If we commit ourselves to praying and asking for God's strength and wisdom, God will give us what is required to make those pure choices and to reflect and honour his greatness and the sacrifice that he's made for us. He will do that. God works through prayer. Second thing that will really help us to live pure lives, and it's this. 
Who do you choose to make your friendship circle? Who do you choose to make your company of people, not the one you work for, but the company of people that you befriend and actually make personal close connections with? Who are these ones? Do the friends or the company you keep influence you to live a pure life? Or do the friends that you are keeping now influence you to live impurely? Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians. It says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company, friends, close connections, really close connections, bad company ruins good morals. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Who you and I choose to build deep personal connections with, who we make those choices to be, will have a direct effect upon our moral choices that we make in life. Bible says it really clearly there for us. Bad company ruins good morals. He says, don't be deceived. It's what we need to do to live pure lives. So you may have some friends who are really cool, really funny, really trendy, and they're right with it, and you just love hanging with them. You just think it's fantastic. But if those guys that you're forming these really close friendship circles with, if they may, are making impure choices that don't glorify God, eventually the choices that they are making will rub off onto the choices we make. It just happens. Eventually the choices they're making, the people that you're hanging with, they will actually drag you down, as it were, to their level. It's not so much that you make them rise up, it just doesn't work that way. They actually drag you down to their level. Eventually, their actions just wear you down. It's just action after action after action that just keeps wearing you down. How does it work? You're with your circle of friends, and they all want to watch a movie that's impure. They're all getting involved in it, and they watch along and say, mate, it's going to be a great night, we've got a couple of DVDs, or we've got something we're going to watch on Netflix or something like that. And they're great mates and you want to hang with them? Whoa, okay, what am I going to do? Because I know the movie they've told me is impure. Um, it's the friendship circle you're in. It actually becomes a real challenge. Choose good company. Choose good, godly, gospel friends that will build you up. I'm not saying you don't have any connections at all with those who are not saved. Absolutely we still have connections with them. But we don't make them our intimate friendship circle. Because straight away, if you're a believer, you're going to be on two different wavelengths. And if you're there on a higher moral ground in living a pure life and they're down there, eventually it'll just go like that. So you still have the connections out there, but we don't make them our close, personal, intimate friends. You see, this is where Jesus is going here with this Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to move forward in the gospel and know God's blessing, to live as God has intended us to live, to know his peace, to know his joy through pure living, and to be able to do this amongst a culture that is going backwards, that is becoming more and more impure. And that's exactly what we want to build here at Exchange Church. We want to see the gospel go deep in our hearts through the Holy Spirit working us to build a community living in purity, as God gives us the grace and the power to do that and to encourage each other in that. Why? To know God's blessing, to know God's presence and to know his joy in our lives. 
That's what we want to build here at Exchange Church. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, you're right, Todd, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done this morning. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I watched last night. You don't know what I was looking at this morning. Well, I'm glad you're here. Because the gospel is all about redemption and the gospel is all about forgiveness. It's not about us trying to climb our way to God. It's about what Jesus has already done for us and then we walk in that and we receive the forgiveness he's given. So you might be feeling now, I'm not feeling too good. Well, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. Good news. It's forgiveness. It's restoration and it's redemption. Let's pray. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 